We're going to be looking at the fifth gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Five gospels of Jesus. Now, you say, how could that be? Well, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Let's go there. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 has 12 verses, but there should be 15. Because we need to back up three verses in Isaiah 52. Because actually, Isaiah 53 should begin with verse 13 of Isaiah 52. Have I got you confused yet? Let me help you out a little bit. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. Your Bible has 66 books. The book of Isaiah is split 39 chapters, woe unto Jerusalem, woe unto Judah, rebuke to the 12 tribes of Israel, both Judah and Ephraim. Isaiah is skinning them. He's scorching them. He's letting them have it. 39 chapters. And in the Old Testament, you have 39 books. You have 27 books in the New Testament, and when Isaiah comes to chapter 39, when he transitions to chapter 40, which is the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, he begins by saying, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. So the book of Isaiah is a little Bible. And everything you need to know is in Isaiah 52 and 53, at least about our Savior. The Jewish rabbis used to say that Isaiah 53 was a torment chamber for them because they didn't want to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, many of the synagogues years ago and even today have omitted Isaiah chapter 53 because it is too much like Jesus. Woo! Too much like Jesus. I even had some people leave our church because we were too much like Jesus. I had someone tell me, well, I'm not going to your church because all you do is preach Jesus. I said, thank you for the compliment. I went to her house. I said, we miss you. She said, well, I'm not coming back because all you preach is Jesus. I said, well, thank you, ma'am. Please don't come back. Because this Bible is about Jesus Christ. I'm so tactful and so smooth. Amen. Go to your Bibles, Isaiah 52. We're going to read the three verses and go right into chapter 53. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Behold my servant. Now let me stop right here. The servant here is not Isaiah. And the servant here is not Israel. Both are interpreted that way. The servant here is not the prophets. The servant here is the Messiah, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Behold, my servant shall dwell prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his vestige was so marred more than any man. 
and his form more than the sons of men. That's when he was beaten with the cattle nine tails, beyond recognition. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Jesus is known around the world. The king shall shut their mouths at him. They won't want to talk about him. They won't want to promote him. For that which had not been told them, they shall finally see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who has believed our report? Answer me. Who has believed our report? There were 6,000 Pharisees in the time that Jesus Christ came. 6,000. That's the calculations in the historical account. 6,000 Pharisees. Only one got born again. His name was Nicodemus. A second one got born again, and his name was Apostle Paul later on in the book of Acts. Who hath believed a report? I want to shout, I do. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Speaking of the root of David. He had no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He will be rejected, in other words. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And by the way, there's a lot of folks still hiding from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him as stricken and smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, with his beating, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? I want to shout, I will. For he was cut off. Daniel spoke of the Messiah being cut off, cut out to the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he has done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord, this is Jehovah, to bruise him. He had put him to grief when he shall make his soul an offering for sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son on the cross. He shall see his seed meaning Jesus will project his heart ahead and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in the hands, of course, of Jesus. He shall see the travail of his soul on that cross. He'll see far ahead and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, notice righteous servant, justify many. Isaiah couldn't do that. Israel couldn't do that. Only Jesus can do that. For he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for transgressions, transgressors. I want to use for a subject tonight the crucified one. You may be seated. This is really the fifth gospel. It is so anointed and so saturated with what Jesus Christ did before on the cross and after the cross, what he did for us. I used to, as a young man, I used to have a pastor friend, a preacher friend that was much older than me. He wasn't a real good reader, but he would love to read the scriptures. He was one man who taught me how to affectionately love God's Word. He was not a great theologian or a great scholar, but oh, he knew the Lord, and he was a great man of God. His name was Doris Johnson. He taught me how to conduct funerals. He taught me how to do weddings. I taught me how not to do weddings. He taught me how to offer communion. He taught me so many things. But the thing that he taught me most of all was to always be tender to the Word of God. I've listened to Brother Doris many times reading from Isaiah 53. And I'd watch him. I remember the first time he read from Isaiah 53, he cried like a baby. He sobbed. He'd cry about five minutes, and he'd read a little more, and then he'd cry some more. And I remember the first time I heard him do that, I thought, well, you know, that's just an unusual matter. He's going through a storm. He's going through a hard time. But two years later, he's still crying. Every time he'd open up the Scriptures and read from Isaiah, he would cry and just sob because he knew who his Savior was. He knew Jesus Christ was his Lord and his Savior. And if Isaiah 53 doesn't bring a tear to your eye, then you need to be sprinkled. No, you need to be buried with dirt. We that have been resurrected in the power of God know the strength of God's Word. And God speaks of his servant, his righteous servant, not as going to do, but he has bore our sickness. He has carried our griefs. He, he has. He, he uses the past tense. He has carried our grief. He has taken our... And so God is speaking of it as something that has already been done. And the reason God the Father spoke of it as it had already been done, he was totally confident in himself. And, and God was totally confident in Jesus Christ. He knew that he is always the victor because he's God. He knew that he had great plans for you and I. And he knew that our God and he as God will never fail. Woo! 
Our God never fails. Now, I'm going to share some things, just walk you through this. This prophecy or these announcements was made 700 years before Jesus walked the shores of Galilee. 700 years prior. Isaiah tells us about the crucifixion of Jesus 700 years before Jesus came to planet earth. Now notice I'm phrasing it, he came to planet earth. He wasn't born into planet earth, he came to planet earth, then he was born into planet earth. Because Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. Oh, as a man he did. But Jesus Christ is the ancient of days. He's everlasting to everlasting. He is God Almighty. And Jesus never began. He's always been. He's always been the Son of God. So I don't believe in the Father. Well, how can you have a son and not have a father? Well, I don't believe in the Son. Well, how can you have a son and not have a father? Hello? And of course, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the power of God moving. 700 years prior, God is confident that he's going to do something wonderful for us. Now, notice in verse 14 of chapter 52, he's beaten beyond recognition. You can, you can read about it in Luke 23, verse 50, the last seven verses in John chapter 19, Matthew 27. You can read about the scourging of Jesus Christ. You can read about the, the whipping that he took. And I used to think of one Roman soldier throwing this cat o' nine tails. On the end of that leather strap was pieces of glass and pieces of sharp bone and pieces of rock. And it was called a cat o' nine tails. And that, I used to think the soldier would put him up to a whipping post, which they called the slab or the concrete slab. It was a, it was a place that they called, um, well, it was called the slab. And that's where they'd take their victims, the Roman soldiers, and chain them there. By the way, Isaiah describes crucifixion when there was no such thing as crucifixion 700 years prior. There was no such thing as crucifixion, but Isaiah describes it completely. And they took Jesus, and I used to think it's one big Roman soldier taking that whip down, but after I did some more studying, it wasn't one, it was two and sometimes three Roman soldiers. And they would take the cat o' nine tail, a whip, and one soldier would whip it across him, another soldier whipping across him, another soldier whip it across him. And when they pulled the, the whip back, the rocks, the glass, pieces of broken pottery would rip the flesh from his bones. And many times after a scourging, their inner organs would be exposed. And many never survived the scourging. But Jesus is going to survive because he's going to mount the cross of Calvary and he's going to be hung between heaven and earth. And if I, Jesus Christ said, be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And Jesus Christ was lifted up from the earth. He becomes the crucified one. And there on that cross, he gives his life a ransom 
And he saves us from our sins and our transgressions. He was beaten so badly, it says here in Isaiah 52, that they were astonished at thee. His face, his vestige, his appearance was so marred more than any man that the form more than the sons of men. In other words, they couldn't even recognize him as a man, just a wad of flesh. Pilate tried to get him free, and they kept crying, crucify. Pilate was terrified of Jesus, but he was more fearful of the crowd. And after they beat him, Pilate brings him before the people and says, I've whipped him. Let's let him go. And they begin to chant, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What evil? What has he done? And the phrase that he made to the people was, behold the man. And later on, he said, behold your king. He's my king. He's my king. And he was beaten so badly. He's my king. Who had believed our report. I used to have a heart doctor that he found out that I was a preacher. And um, he looked at me and said, well, hallelujah. And he began to sing, who hath believed our report? The report of the Lord. And he would sing it to me. Who hath believed our report? The report of the Lord. And they used to sing that song a lot in the black churches. Well, my doctor was black. And he loved the scriptures. And he preached to me. And he said, I'm a doctor and I can keep you alive only as long as God wants me to. He says, I got bad news for you. You're going to die. But he said, I've got some good news. Jesus Christ can keep you from dying and give you eternal life. Amen. That was a good doctor. I wish more doctors would be more truthful. Amen. I, uh, I want to point out some things. Who had believed our report? Not many did. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, he was revealed to the Jew and Gentile, Greek and, and Gentile, and bond and free. It says he'll grow up before him as a tender plant that is in the sight of Jehovah, God the Father, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus was not a world atlas looking guy. He was just a normal guy in a normal body, but with an incredible God pulsating inside of him because he's God. Isn't that good? And because they didn't, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And that's why they've been rejecting Isaiah 53 all these years. Now, early on, the rabbis just the, the scribes, early in the beginning, they taught that this was the suffering Messiah. But later on, they decided, no, this is the suffering Israel. 
So they changed the servant to be Israel and not Messiah. But Israel has never, is not described in any shallow form as of what we see in this chapter 53. Israel's been abused. Israel has been attacked. Israel's been genocide. Israel's been persecuted, but nothing like Jesus Christ. And this is not a corporate person. This is God, singular, the one true God. I love this. Notice it says, and before I finish the message, I want to make some statements because this is so important that you see this. He was taken from prison from judgment. In other words, that was the court of Herod and and Pilate. Who shall declare his generation? Who's going to stand up and say Jesus is pure? Who's going to stand up and say Jesus is faultless? Who's going to stand up and say Jesus was, was crucified? He was innocent. He did nothing wrong. He was put to death only because we are guilty. Well, I want to be that generation that stands up. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Daniel speaks of this, the Messiah, the 70 weeks of Daniel. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. I love this. He made his grave with the wicked. Who did Jesus die between? Two thieves. So he made his grave with the wicked. In other words, the wicked were buried in the same place as the rich were buried. And with the rich in his death, why did they say with the rich in his death? Because Joseph of Arimathea said that he wanted the body of Jesus Christ. And Joseph, a rich man, gave his tomb to Jesus Christ when he died. And that's why it says, and with the rich in his death. Because he has done no violence. That's why Joseph and Nicodemus, because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. He was guiltless, holy and pure. He was so pure and so holy, yet it pleased God to chasten him. It pleased God to pour out his wrath on his own son. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Who did that? The Father God made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He looked ahead and saw you and I. And he shall prolong his days. God will raise him from the dead. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied. On that cross, Jesus saw the prevailing or the overcoming or the winning of his soul. On that cross, he endured the cross. Why did he endure it? Because of Jimmy. Why did he endure it? Because of Chris. Why did he endure it? Because of Jerry. Why did he endure the cross? Because of you and I. He was crucified. He despised the cross, but he endured the shame. He endured the pain. He endured the suffering because he looked ahead 
and he saw a church redeemed by his blood. He looked ahead and said, my children are not going to go to hell. I'm going to save people that will come and believe. Who had believed our report, I'm going to save them. And on that cross, he endured the shame. He endured the pain. He endured all the stuff. And he saw, the Bible says, and he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And his knowledge shall be my righteous servant and justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Isn't that good? That is incredible. I love it, don't you? Now let's back up and look at verse 4 and 5. And if you don't have a tear in your eye right now, I'm going to pray for you. Notice verse 4, surely, this is in 53 of Isaiah, surely he has borne or carried our griefs. When he carried our griefs, that meant healing for our heart. We've been crushed. We've been broken. Healing for our heart. He carried the burdens of our heart. You lose a loved one. You lose a friend. Your, your dream is shattered. He carries our grief. He carried our sorrow. That means healing to the spirit. Your body don't get sorrowful. Your body gets sore and hurts. But your spirit gets sorrowful. And he's healing for our spirit. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. This is the Jews. They, they said that's what he needed. He needed to die. God was judging him. And he was smitten of God and afflicted. And yes, he was smitten of God. God the Father did crucify his son. He said, I thought the Roman soldiers did. They did. I thought the Jewish people cried crucified. They did. But it all was in God's plan. He gave his son to die on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could go to heaven. But notice it says he was esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And that just simply means deliverance from God's wrath and deliverance from hell. Aren't you glad that you have, was that one of these adults screaming or one of the kids? I think that was one of the adults in here. Deliver. Oh, you ain't heard the worst of it yet. Listen to this. It says deliverance from God's wrath and hell. Aren't you glad you've been delivered from God's wrath and hell? I'm glad I've been delivered. Who can, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just what I preached about this morning, only God can do this. Amen. Notice it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. That means forgiveness for our rebellion. Transgression. You know, when you think of transgression, you need to think of a sign that says no trespassing. And your transgressions is when you willfully and deliberately disobey and dishonor God, but yet he was wounded. He took our suffering. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
That means healing for the guilt of our sins. Healing for the guilt of our sins. Woo, that's good stuff. Notice it says, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That is healing for the mind. That is healing mentally, emotionally. Jesus Christ, the chastisement of our peace was put upon him. Jesus Christ took your mental sickness. He took your emotional crash. He took everything from the head down to the toes of your feet and your entire body and your spirit. He took it all, body, soul, and spirit. He took your pain. He took your shame. He took your grief. He took your death. He took your hell. He took your wrath that would be poured out upon you for rejecting God. He just did it all for you and I. And with his stripes we are healed. Well, that's healing for the body. We have healing for the body. We have healing for the mind. We have healing for the mental breakdowns. We have healing for the emotional upsets. We have healing for guilt. We have healing for, for um, um, grief. We have healing for for weaknesses in our life. We have healing. We have deliverance from the power of God. Jesus Christ left no stone unturned. He shed his blood so that you and I could be whole. Amen. Come on. All we like sheep have gone astray. Verse 6. I want you to know if you go in at the... All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. It starts with all. And it ends with all. And if you'll go in at the first all, all, I, all we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid, him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you go in at the first all, you'll come out at the last all redeemed. That's pretty good stuff. What happened? He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8. Whereas sheep led to the slaughter. And he is bought, brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And the sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Remember when Pilate tried to get him to talk and he wouldn't do it? Remember when Herod tried to get him done? I mean, Jesus wasn't on that cross and said, please let me off here. I can't stand it any longer. Jesus didn't try to crawl, crawl out of it. He didn't try to get out of it. He mounted that cross as God Almighty. He mounted that cross as a pure lamb of God. Now, something about sheep is they're noisy, they're noisy in a group. Something about sheep, they're noisy. And by the way, in case you haven't figured this out, sheep bite. I've been pastoring long enough to know sheep bite. But the picture we get here 
as he's led the sheep to the slaughter, the picture we get here is that Jesus Christ came. He voiced his discontentment about sin. He voiced his father's proclamation of what man must do in order to be saved. He voiced his miracle power. At first he was noisy. And sheep at the beginning are noisy. And as they get sheared, the sheep kind of like haircuts. No, wool cuts. <laughs> Excuse me. Every time I think of wool cuts, I think of George Washington and the old guys, you know, that were old presidents that had them wool wigs. Sheep carry baggage around. They carry big old wool, and they look ugly. They're poof. They look like they eat too many marshmallows. Look like they eat too many hairy marshmallows. And that old wool gets matted and dirty. And the more those sheep hang around the master, the more the master cleans them and shears them till they get to the place that they are totally comfort, com uh, comfortable with their shepherd. They're comfortable with their master. And I want you to know when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, he was totally comfortable with his father. Because once those sheep have went through the shearing and once they, they get so attached to their shepherd that when they kill them for sacrifice, they won't even bleed. They're quiet. And so when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, he had total confidence in his father. He didn't try to defend himself. Are oh, you listening to me? He didn't try to defend himself. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? Well, Jesus didn't try to defend himself, but I want you to know I'm going to defend him. And I'm going to shout out, I, I believe his report. I'm going to declare the goodness of God. I'm going to defend him as my Lord and my Savior. Why? Because he did not defend himself so that I could have some defense. And my defense is the blood of Jesus, the resurrection of the Son of God. Isn't that good? Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. I read of three places where Jesus was lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross between heaven and earth as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me, speaking of the cross. But you need to understand that he was lifted up at another place. When he died on the cross of Calvary, he was put in a tomb. And if I be lifted up, up from the grave he arose, I will draw all men unto me, for I am the resurrection and the life. You say, well, what was the third time he was lifted up? When he went outside the city of Jerusalem, of Bethany area, to the Mount of Olives, his ascension, he opened his hands and he blessed them. And he's caught up, gravi gravity lost its control. The Son of God begins to 
go up slowly into the clouds. And the Son of God reaches over, grabs one cloud, reaches over, grabs another cloud, wraps him in the, in the cloud, and poof, he's gone. And the disciples are looking at this going, you say, what'd they say? You say, what did the disciples say the last chapter of St. Luke and, 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 and talking about his ascension in the first chapter of Acts? What did the disciples say? So God had to tell two men, which were angels, go down there and take the shock out of them so they can get busy for the Lord. I don't need the church doing this. So God sends two angels, men in white apparel, which are angels, and they said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus will come again in like manner as you send him leave. He's coming back. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. I want you to know when Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives, he's going to bring his church with him and he's going to come to Israel. And when Jesus puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, that mount's going to say, Whoo, I know that footprint. Boom. And the mountain's going to rip it in two. When the footprint of Jesus Christ touches the Mount of Olives, the mountain's going to go, ah! it's going to split open. A valley's going to open up. And the children of Israel that's being persecuted by the Antichrist, and there's a flood, they're going to go out of that valley into safety to the city of Petra, and there they'll be safe while Jesus comes down to whoop it on the beast and the false prophet and to lay it on the dragon and to overcome the wicked one and his vesture shall be dipped in blood and he shall come and they will call him king of kings, lord of lords, the son of almighty God and we're going to be with him. Now I'm sure some of you heard some stories that the man of olive has an earthquake fault. It may, it may not. God doesn't need that. Now, it may have an earthquake fault. It may be there. But I don't need that to know what's going to happen when Jesus touched the Mount of Olives. Because Zachariah says what's going to happen. So, you know, I don't need a scientist to tell me this is why you believe the Bible. I don't need a scientist. I've got a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. I don't need a, 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 an archaeologist. I don't need an excavator. I, I just need the good word of God and need Jesus Christ. If they want to prove the Bible, prove it. Go ahead. Have at it. But I believe the Bible, proof or no proof, because the Bible is God's word. Besides that, it's been proved down through the generations forever. And Isaiah 53 pretty much proves that it's that 700 years before Jesus came. Amen? I like Isaiah 53. Love it. Now, I'm not going to spend any more time on the message, but I want you to understand something. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. 
It's about our violation against God. It's about the law. It's about what God expects. It's about the love of God. But the Bible is about Jesus Christ. Behold, I come in the volume of a book. It's written to me. To do thy will, O God, as the Hebrew writer said. The Bible is about Jesus. Amen? And the last thing I want to do is attend a church service when they talk about the Bible and don't talk about Jesus because he is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? I mean, I go in there looking for Jesus when I go into my Bible. How many go into your Bible looking for Jesus? Well, I go in there looking for comfort. You find Jesus, you'll have that. So I go in there for healing. You find Jesus, you'll have that. Don't go to the Bible trying to find your blessing and your riches and your, go into the Bible and find Jesus. When you find Jesus, he'll bless you. Amen. I'm done. Well, I'm not done, but I'm, you know, I'm finished tonight. I'm going to come bring a song. Hallelujah. Mm. Isaiah 53. The fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. Actually, it's the first gospel because it's Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what a comfort it is to look at the Scripture. I know people that say, well, you don't need the Old Testament. What do you mean you don't need the Old Testament? Breathing started there. Now, I'm just not willing to let that go. Amen? Amen? Creation started there, and I'm not willing to let that go. You know, I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I don't believe these professors are teaching our children that we came from some kind of monkey or something. I once was a tadpole long and thin. Then I was a bullfrog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey swinging from a tree. And now I'm a professor with a PhD. I don't buy that. And I didn't come from slime, I came from God. Stand with me.